0: Thought Capital, no cash changes hands,
1: energy justice, tax incentives, environmental concerns,
0: resource taxation, highly competitive, Australia is missing out, the social disorganisation theory. We cannot think of China as just one big market. Hello, I'm Michael Pascoe. Welcome to Thought Capital, the podcast that delves into the wealth of ideas created by the experts at Monash Business School in Melbourne, Australia. Most female leaders are found in healthcare and education sectors. The fewest are in mining and construction, according to the Workplace Gender Equality Agency. No surprises there. The same agency reports female representation in the boardrooms is static at around 25%. Only 16% of Australian CEOs are women.
1: There is seen to be a social norm of male leadership. And what that means is that when you look around, you only see male leaders. So you feel as a woman that you don't really belong in that position.
0: In this episode of Thought Capital, we'll be hearing from a woman who's defied the statistics to become Australia's most senior female academic leader, Professor Margaret Gardner, Vice-Chancellor of Monash University since 2014 and Chair of Universities Australia. Welcome. Throughout your career, you've pushed hard, to advance the cause of women in academia? Have you succeeded?
2: Oh, no. Um, (laughs) Well, you're (laughs) (laughs) Vice-Chancellor. You're meant to be in charge. (laughs) Ah, yes, would that it were so. It's certainly true that in my leadership career, I've had the opportunity to work actually quite directly on issues to do with diversity and gender equality in particular, My very first senior executive job was called a Provost-Chancellor Equity, and I was responsible for equal employment opportunity, which generally meant gender equality for women in universities of the university I was in, also for issues to do with uh, student equity, which included issues regarding students of low socioeconomic background and students of non- non-English speaking background, Indigenous Australians and the like. So that was my very first senior executive job was with responsibility for advancing those goals. I'd like to think I had some impact. When I got to the position of being a vice chancellor and in a position where you could look at, for example, pay of senior executives in the university. Then I've always been quite conscious of how we do performance bonuses or ensuring that we have very clear metrics by which we decide how one position is paid against another. And so I've been able to put some of the things I understand into into practice more directly in what I do. I would not say that I feel that I've been successful. Why not? It really has been a much slower journey in terms of improving outcomes for women or getting greater gender equality in our society than I at all imagined when I was an undergraduate student. So I took one of the first subject offered on this particular topic many decades ago while I was an undergraduate. And I don't think I expected then at age 19 or whatever I was that it would actually be as slow as it's been. And that's not to say that there haven't been advances, there have been. There have been some shifts in culture, but culture is slower to shift, much slower to shift, than the things you can change if you change a policy or change a piece of legislation or change regulation. And we know that generally about cultural change, but I guess it's just living with the fact that it's as slow as it is. It is progressing, though? Is is that important to you? Yes. It's important that we attempt to have a society that is open and diverse. And that's not just a question of women, but it's a question of diversity across race and ethnicity, religion, sexuality. And so I think we have expanded, and we are a little better at articulating a number of the issues. We have more open debate about a number of those issues. I think we have had successes, particularly with women. But all situations in which there is significant and significant advantage are very slow to be secured by those who have less, <laughs> whether that is by of socioeconomic background or gender or race or ethnicity or sexuality.
0: There have been times in your own career where being a woman has been a disadvantage and
2: an advantage? Well, I guess you could argue that it was unlikely they were going to appoint a male to that senior executive role that they created, which was my first one, so I guess that was a slight advantage. I've tended, I must say, actually, when thinking of myself, not to think too clearly in those terms and have sort of just thought about what I might do and how. It doesn't mean I'm blind to what happens around me or context. But I've tended to, say, view it through a distant academic lens a lot of the time and say, ah, yes, well, these are the things I might expect. I always knew that I would have to have very strong and demonstrated experience in as much as was possible to secure a leadership job. I anticipated that it was unlikely someone was going to say, I think she's got capability and potential, and that they would always look for the experience. I can't remember
0: careers counsellors at schools ever saying well would you like to be a vice chancellor at a university as an option? No. How did your career go from being an academic into leadership to where you are now? (laughs)
2: <laughs> the the point at which I imagined being a vice-chancellor was the point at which I was already holding a senior executive job reporting to a vice-chancellor. So you might argue it was straight in front of me because that was the, that that was was the position I was report, reporting to. Well, to move into leadership. I never put my hand up. Well, I don't think would ever been considered to be a prefect or a school captain at school. So I, not someone who sought to be the, <laughs> the leader of the whatever. I do have activist tendencies, so... I probably stepped forward. So you kept saying yes. I like to contribute. I've built up experience and therefore the possibility of doing other things came to me and then became obvious to me that they were things that I could do and might enjoy doing.
0: There has long been debate about why women have not had the same leadership opportunities as men. The way forward could be to consider a different path for women to gain senior management roles. What if women were presumed to be interested in any position they qualified for until they say no? What if women always stayed in the running for any promotion unless they chose to opt out? Lata Gangadrian is a professor of economics at Monash University. Her research focuses on gender and diversity, and she uses lab and field experiments to understand economic behavior. Professor, welcome to Thought Capital. Lately, your research is focused on this opting out. What do you mean?
1: So the reason we thought about implementing this mechanism called an opt-out mechanism is because this problem that you don't really see many women in leadership positions. And one of the reasons we think this is true is because most organizations use opt-in method to select a leader. And what does that really mean? What that means is that when there is a leadership position available, then there is basically a call for applications for this position. And people have to put their hand up uh, to be chosen to be a leader. So you have to explicitly do something to become a leader. And
0: there's an assumption that women don't stick their hand up.
1: So we think that that might be true, at least for some women, and maybe that's true for some men as well. And one of the reasons why we think this could be true is because it might be considered very aggressive to put your hand up because you think you're really good or smart or much better than everybody else. Uh, and this may actually, at least in the case of, of women, it has been shown to backfire um, and that it becomes more difficult for them to actually get the position if they put their hand up. The other reason is that there is seen to be a social norm of male leadership. And what that means is that when you look around you only see male leaders so you feel as a woman that you don't really belong in that position Uh, and that again could be true for some men as well so this kind of Mm -hmm. a stereotype is very difficult to overcome for some people so when you have an opt-out mechanism then all the eligible people would be considered to be leaders and they can of course choose to opt out if they don't want to be a leader they still have the freedom of choice
0: And we have opt-out, opt-in debates about other areas, about uh, life insurance, health insurance, superannuation, organ donation.
1: Absolutely, yes. And they have been seen to be very successful in many of these areas.
0: So in your experiment, you had three scenarios. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: A leadership position that would pay well. Yes. A leadership position that would distribute higher pay throughout the organization. Yes. And then an altruistic position, there's no monetary gain. Right. What did you find?
1: So what we found was that in one of these leadership scenarios, there is a gender gap. So it's in the third scenario that you mentioned, where all the profits from the tasks that they do in this experiment, it goes to a third party. And in that scenario, we find that women choose to be leaders less often as compared to men.
0: So when there's money in it, women are as likely to put their hands up as men. Uh Yes, But when it's altruistic, are you telling me women aren't altruistic, that, that <laughs> so we males that, are actually nicer people?
1: So that, that's an important point, because in the experiment, one of the advantages of having these kind of experiments, which have some control vis-a-vis the real world, is that in the experiment, actually, opportunity cost is kept constant. So if you think about our experiment, the opportunity cost of being a leader is actually zero in this experiment. Whereas if you're thinking of a CEO, the opportunity cost of their being a leader is actually very high. They have, if they have a family or friends, they, they hardly see them because they're always working. And this opportunity cost might be higher for women as compared to men. So when you think about the net gains, you know, so the monetary benefits they get from being a leader as compared to the costs or the opportunity costs, then for some people, it doesn't make sense to put their hand up. And that's what we're showing in the experiment.
0: So women are saying, show me the money and I'll put my (laughs) hand up. If there's no money, Mm. opt out becomes a major factor. If you have opt out, how big is the change?
1: So in the scenario where we do see a gender gap, when we introduce opt out, this gender gap disappears. What that means is that women are as likely to choose to be leaders as compared to men. And I guess what our mechanism is showing is that at every level, If you can have ways of encouraging women to participate in this process, then that creates an appropriate pool of people whom policymakers or decision makers can choose from. But if you don't really have enough women at every level, then it's very hard to choose women at the senior level.
0: And it just makes sense to consider all the people for a leadership role, doesn't it?
1: It does, It just that you have to be a bit careful because that obviously increases transactions costs for the people who are making these decisions. So it needs to be done in a way such that the the role is very well defined and the criteria for becoming a leader are precisely defined. In organizations where you can do that, where there are specific roles that people are undertaking and there are specific um, criteria for being in that role, then this would be a very successful mechanism.
0: Has it been tried In any real organisations or is purely in the lab at present?
1: We've been talking to many organisations and the private sector to the public sector who are all very interested. We don't have it operational yet, but we are in conversation with them. And the other aspect to think of is many organisations are already doing some things to improve diversity measures in their organisations, right? So, for example, they have these training programmes. They also have, from the organisation side, they want to do some unconscious bias kind of training, And some organizations are actually even thinking of quotas for affirmative action. But many of these different kinds of methods haven't really been tested properly. So we don't really know how effective these are. And in the case of affirmative action, actually, we find that the the evidence is really mixed. So it may backfire, it may be productive in the short run, but we don't really know how it's going to work in different organizations. And it's also, we have to remember, very costly to do all of these different things. The mechanism that we are suggesting is actually much simpler to do and it's politically much easier to implement as compared to, let's say, quotas. And it's all merit-based because it's only people who are qualified and who perform well, they are going to be elected as the leader.
0: Here you are at Monash University, a prime candidate for an opt-out system. Yes. Any luck convincing the university (laughs) to try it?
1: So actually Universities Australia had recommended our research as a way of uh, improving diversity. So that's something that has been brought to the attention of this university and actually the Monash Business School has been very encouraging with respect to this research.
0: You've been doing field work in India.
1: Mm -hmm. How and what? What we were trying to do there is to try and understand how effective are female leaders as compared to male leaders. And the main reason why we chose India as a setting for this particular research question is because India has this very uh, interesting affirmative action policy at the village level. So whenever there's a village election, every five years, there's an election to be head of the village. And at that level, they have implemented a quota for female heads, one third of the positions are going to be randomly allocated to women. So if a particular village is reserved to be a female headed village, then men cannot apply for that position in that particular year. So this is a very nice testing ground for experimentalists. And what we did was to run these uh, public good kind of experiments. So public goods, if you know, are basically, you know, goods that we all use, like roads and electricity and other such things, but somebody has to contribute so that these goods get funded. Um, So we designed a simple public goods scheme where you have a leader and you have other group members, and the leader has to suggest how much the other group members should contribute towards the group. So now the question we were trying to understand is whether when you have a female leader, will the other people in the group contribute more or less? as compared to when you have a male leader. And what we found is that the group members, especially the male group members, follow the female leader much less as compared to the male leader. So when you have a female leader, then there is a bit of a backlash by the male group members.
0: Which is based upon a long history of sexism?
1: Yes, so there is a problem of male identity being different and you don't really expect women to be leaders in this particular context, actually many contexts, as we said before, but definitely in this particular village context, you're not really expected to see female leaders. We also, as I said, we could run them in villages that already have an existing female leader as compared to villages which have a male leader. So that variation helps us understand that uh, in villages where there is a norm of a female leader, the backlash is actually more as compared to villages where there is no female leader. So I guess the men in those villages are already a bit frustrated, and they are lashing out in this experiment against the female leaders in their group. But the positive result that we found was that, because we could look at, this is a policy that has been in place for about 15 to 20 years in this particular region in India. We had you know data from three election cycles, so we could see if this improved over time or did, or did this become worse over time. And what we found was that when they're more exposed to female leaders, then over time, the male members, they show less backlash. They get so used they, to it. They get used to it, exactly.
0: Is there the evidence of an outcome that villages that had a female leader were... Faring worse or not?
1: So that's a good point because uh, these are actual leaders in these real mm. villages so we can test that and we did that. In our data, we didn't find any difference between the performance of the female head as compared to the male head. So there's no good economic or social reason for these people to be frustrated. It's just that the gender norm is being violated and their male identity is being threatened is what we how we interpret the results.
0: Professor, it sounds a lot more exciting to me than classical economics. Thanks for talking to us. Thank you, Michael. Professor Margaret Gardner, Vice-Chancellor of Monash University since 2014 and Chair of Universities Australia. Some of the research we've been looking at on Thought Capital done by one of the Monash professors, uh, Professor Lata Gangarens, on opting out as a way of looking at encouraging women to actually be opted in changing promotion to instead of having to stick your hand up for it. Everyone's considered up for that promotion if they're qualified unless they opt out a bit like the push to try to get organ donations Mm. and opt out situation. Could that make a difference the the laboratory research the experiments she's conducted suggested that that would take away gender bias.
2: Ah, It wouldn't take away gender bias what she would be attempting to do, and I think it is an idea that bears strong consideration, what she would take away is thinking to yourself, I think I will need to have demonstrated that I can do this and this and this and this before I consider that role or promotion or position because someone else would would make that decision for you, but... it would not take away gender bias because if indeed the unconscious bias reads people's experience differentially on the basis of their gender or their race or whatever, then that will still be something that you have to deal with in terms of deciding when people have crossed the bar to be opted in. In the And, it will, not, and it will not stop people opting themselves out on the same basis. But I think it might ameliorate that. So I don't think it would eliminate it, and so it is an idea worth considering. Unconscious bias is such that we know that people read the same things through different lenses based on their unconscious bias, and that's the thing culturally that we're constantly seeking to deal with.
0: In her experiment, the idea is to get women to the starting gate.
2: Mm. Yeah, no, no, it's basis. a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Mm.
0: What particular advice would you give to a young woman entering university life? Would it be any different to what you'd give to a young man?
2: Oh, yes, in the sense that there are still differences in expectation if people decide to embark on families with children. I was very lucky that I am still married to another academic very happily and it was a, a very equal partnership in those terms but you would give people advice to think through what needs to be done, and I often do, about what sort of support they need, how they need to think about how they structure their career. I never stopped working. I remained working full-time. I know full well that all the evidence will say, in retrospect, that that was an advantage for me. It's not that I'm suggesting that all people should do that because that's not everybody's choice. But as a woman, you do have to think about it seriously because the impacts of cumulative disadvantage, which is what we know from the research, are high. I'm not trying to make suggest that it's the responsibility of women to do everything for themselves, because it isn't. We're trying to make change, so that isn't the case.
0: So for a young woman, having a supportive partner sounds like an important career move, if you're going to have a partner at all.
2: I just think it's general advice that you might want a partner to be a partner.
0: Would you recommend leadership roles to your daughters?
2: Yes, I would to my daughter and my son to the extent that I think they have the inclination and the judgment. I think in both cases they do.
0: Did you have particular mentors that you looked up to that helped chart your course?
2: I was very fortunate on... A few occasions, I had a dean who kept suggesting that I do things that I would not have thought of myself, uh, like I applied for a postdoc on his suggestion that he thought I would get a postdoc, which I had not considered. He, so he you was could have character. benefited from an opt-out regime. <laughs> <laughs> so he suggested things. I was very lucky that one of the vice chancellors was just a great person to talk to and gave support and was confident one could do things. So, yeah, I've been lucky in all those things. I've been very lucky in my partner, who's been a fabulous life partner to discuss the world with. It's been a very fortunate, fortunate life, and I'm acutely aware of how easy it is for people not to have a fortunate life. There's almost, there's not no greater gift because there's, other things beyond work but there's almost no greater gift than working in something that you actually love. Professor Margaret Gardner, thanks for talking to us. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to Thought Capital from Monash Business School. You can find out more at monash.edu forward slash impact. Thought Capital is produced by Tina Zanu. Editing and post-production by Nadia Hume. Technical support by Cameron Nichol. Executive producer is Helen Westerman.